I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, everyone. On this episode, we're going to hear from David Curtis, a physical therapy practice owner who once was offered $12 million for his practice that he declined. We're going to find out if he regrets it or not. We're going to find out all the behind the scenes of that. My name is Dave Kittle. I'm the host here, Dave Kittle Show, and the owner of Concierge Pain Relief, home physical therapy in New York City, and also the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. And we are currently acquiring physical therapy practices in the New York City area, New York and New Jersey. That's enough about me. Let's talk to David Curtis. So David, welcome on the podcast. You sent us some information before we started. And there was a lot of stuff I want to get out there and hear your experiences about. So for example, you had or were a part of 12 practice locations at one point, 51% stake in two offices, 40% stake in one office, 30% stake in one office, 20% stake in eight offices. So at one point, either all at the same time or around that timeline, interfacing and, and dealing with 12 different offices. Tell us about that experience. What was the name of the practice? Who were some of your partners and contributors there? If I'm reading your question correctly, I guess uh, it started out as one. Uh, I went from a self-proprietorship existence to uh, one classic uh, office physical therapist owned. I was the only owner. A few years went by and a staff member then joined me as a junior partner. So we had... Uh, an office uh, in one uh, town in the area that I live in. And then uh, things grew. We started a second office and things progressed well with that second office, turned into a third office, fourth office, all in the area that I live and work in, which is Fairfield County, Connecticut. And then one day, uh, I think this is where we're going, managed healthcare arrived coming down the road. Am I on track, Dave? I, I think I, because I want to hopefully give something of value here. So uh, along about the time managed healthcare arrived, Oxford healthcare arrived. And it was, um, I guess, uh, Health South, the Health South, to get the story straight, the Health South is the $12 million offer that we got in about 1992. So $12 million in 1992 was real money. We would have been at the top of the, I don't know what to call it, of the pyramid scheme, or at least the scheme that was Health South back in the day. Many of the people listening probably, I don't know, maybe don't even know who Health South is, but they were, they were the 800-pound gorilla, and they were buying up all the better practices in Connecticut, probably in the tri-state area. And uh, with a practice, uh, you know, worth six million, getting offered twelve million is pretty pretty tempting. You know, there would have been a golden parachute, non compete. Uh, I think the type, knowing their lawyers, that you could enforce, as opposed to what may or may not be able to be enforced at this point in time. Long story short, we turned it down, and uh, we thought, well, if we're really only worth six, and they're willing to pay twelve, you know what? We'll um, we'll start to get a little closer to the cutting edge where there are these things called computers and apparently you can do amazing things with them. So we were both young and felt that, um, well, maybe we could make it worth, uh, you know, 18 million. Who knows? Let's give it a go. Well, we did our thing. We got up to 16.5, never got to 18 because that's when now that Health South was out of the picture for a while, 1992, give or take, I could be wrong on the date. It was um, January 1st, 1996, and along came Managed Healthcare. And we'll just put it this way: uh, my salary, uh, 1995, was X. 
1996, it was one-fifth X in one year. And we were cutting edge. We had every angle possible covered, and yet we were getting hammered. So along about then, maybe I should say this, that's when we circled the wagons. I was getting ahead of myself. So I um, went to my partner one day because I have absolutely no business experience whatsoever. Just some common sense, uh, I guess, as a New Englander. And I said, you know, we're going to go down. We're going down in a few years. Yeah, we'll go down after everybody else because we were relative to physical therapist-owned private practices. We were the 800-pound gorilla. There was a bigger gorilla, but in a different county, an hour and a half upstate. And um, you know what? I'm going to call everybody. I know Jane and John and uh, Bill and Betty. I'm just going to pick up the phone and call them. Hey, guys, we're all going down. You're going down before I am, but doesn't mean I'm happy about going down. What do you think about this? And that was when our one office that had become two, uh, we were getting the third and fourth running. That's when I went to the other practice owners and said, I've got this idea. Why don't we um, create some sort of an umbrella? And I'm so unsophisticated, I didn't even know that was an LLC. We had multiple PCs. We had four PCs, Riverview Sports Medicine of, and the name of the town, you know, PC. Let's create an umbrella. And instead of all of us having an office manager and all of us and all of us and all of us, we're going to centralize everything. We're going to have an administrative building with an administrative staff. And this is coming out of someone who can't, you know, plug in or turn on a computer. But I knew they existed. So I said, and, and, and we'll centralize everything and we will cut costs, we will streamline, and we will survive. Well, and we did to a certain extent from 1996 to 2002. But um, at that point, uh, I don't know if you want me to get into this, I decided to change, change directions. I don't know, would you like me to go back more to the corporate existence and how things were structured or? Yeah, let's let's go into a little bit more of the structure really quick because there's a lot of practice owners that might have other partners or they might be open or interested in taking some chips off the table, meaning they might sell some minority or majority mm -hmm. percentage mm -hmm. of their practice, whether they have one location or 12. Mm -hmm. So that's that's something that practice owners are definitely interested in. So how about a little bit more into the pros and cons of that? Now that you're looking back, like were those the right moves? Did that help with scale because you had more people having you know equity so that there was a little bit more skin in the game for other folks, or was it just two equity partners? There were just the two of us, but in, there were the two of us in our four practices. Part of the win of creating this umbrella was that we could each be independently owned and operated and still have our um, autonomy and our self-respect, and yet we were providing the centralization of, lot, of a lot of these overlapping services. So we charged a, a management fee for that. Um, that's something, uh, you know, I don't think I have discussed with you. So that, you know, I might have had majority ownership in four of the offices. And the reason the minority ownerships came around is some people wanted that independence and autonomy. And some said, you know, I've been the captain of the ship. I think I'd, I'd rather be a first mate. And so in one of the cases, one of the practices sold us part of his practice. So that's how you get into all these permutations of percentages. My partner and I, you know, I maintain majority, the minority stake in four of the practices. And then one of the practices wanted a virtually a, a total buyout. And we bought some of it out and then set one of our younger clinicians up with another percentage of it. And then, and then, and then the, the 20% owners were more, were more, it was more like a, um, a fee for basically, they were paying us a fee, quite frankly, for our wisdom of saving their existences, really. They knew they couldn't do what we were proposing we would do. And so rather than ask them to write a check, we assumed a percentage of their practice, split that evenly. So now my partner and I are 50-50 owners 
in eight practices, but the owners are still the owners. They still call the shots, but we're now centralizing a lot of the overlapping work. So in addition to getting some skin in their game, they appreciated the survival, but also then we charged them a management fee because after all, we've got 60 employees in a 5,000 square foot building doing their billing, their collecting, their due diligence, their centralization of administrative functions. So um, that might've been a good thing to do to, to kind of have a, a management fee and to have some ownership. Albeit it was minority in the other, you know, eight cases. Um, Got it. So it, it seemed like it was, there was a lot of scale there at that point. Is that something that you would advise to other practice owners that if they have, let's say more than, you know, three or four locations, is that something that they should do in, in terms of having another location, another office somewhere that is consolidating the, like just focus on certain aspects. So like a, just focus on billing, call center or a mini call center, or I guess another way to phrase the question is like, at what point or what scale would it make sense for a, a physical therapy practice to have that type of a internal consolidation where there's consolidation of those most important tasks, billing, revenue, cycle management, coding, and the, and the call center on the, on the front end. Again, I'm going way back in time, but as my memory serves me, because remember now I've been a self-proprietorship for the past 17 years. So I'm going back in two decades plus of memory. I think the break even with four offices, we were kind of doing it. We were doing it with four offices, saving a little money. I think you've got, I think the ceiling has to be four or more. It's worth it if you've got four or more to then instead of paying, you know, four secretaries or more at four offices, really now you just have more of a front desk, you know, receptionist mode. And I'm using, shows how old I am. I'm using old, you know, I know there are fancier terms now, but so you didn't really need four receptionists and four secretaries. You needed four receptionists. Their secretaries went by the wayside and you could have one office manager managing the four offices. That would work. The four offices was doable. I think every time we added an office, then it got, I looked even smarter. It got better because then I think for the 12 offices, there were really only, there was still only one office manager, but she had an assistant office manager. So you take into consideration her salary, you've got to pay up for that individual, very important. But then it's like having a fabulous physical therapist assistant. You know, you're getting a great individual with great skills at a lower price point. So one office manager for the 12 offices with one slash two assistant office managers so that she could make the big calls. They could manage the day-to-day. Some of the offices were more sophisticated. They required less help. Some were less sophisticated. They required more help. But centralizing everything kept us alive in what was just Armageddon which was Oxford Healthcare uh, in the state of Connecticut, who, as you may may not know, ultimately was the uh, subject of a massive multi-state lawsuit with huge settlements. And I think we ended up getting 30 cents on the 30 cents on the dollar three years later after litigation. So I can just remember one day, you know, if Oxford Healthcare owed us, you know, a million dollars, well, that was actually 30 cents, you know, would have been, that was 30 cents. The million was 30 cents on the dollar. Well, then we got 30 cents on that 30 cents three years down the road. So figure that out. That's nine cents. So every time I thought I was making a dollar, I was making nine cents with Oxford Healthcare. I had my, um, I got my revenge. I had the CEO of Oxford Healthcare after um, he, I don't know whether he went to jail or not. After he escaped jail, I had him as a patient. Wow. <laughs> oh, and guess what, Dave? I was fee for service and I wasn't cheap. Yeah. So, was- and, and we're going to get him into that because now you kind of reinvented yourself. You're doing something different. So at that point, and without, without getting to the politics of it and all that, but the, the biggest change was the managed care. So then that kind of brought on the, the change in the fee schedule. And then 
going back to you were mentioning with the Oxford situation, like what prevents other health insurance companies from acting that type of way now? Like are any other current practice owners that are in network or mostly insurance based, like do they, you know, lie awake at night thinking that some of these insurances could just slash payments even more or or hold payments for longer durations or even hold them and and, and just continue with some different various uh various ways of nefarious activity, whether illegal or illegal? Uh, Dave, I'm so far removed from all this now. I mean, so, so far removed. I don't know how to, how to answer. All I know is that I hear about it from younger clinicians who are in network or who are hybrid, or obviously, you, you see, I don't even pay. I'm aware that Medicare lowered rates this year. I'm aware of it, but I doesn't, doesn't affect you. Doesn't affect me. So I apologize. I, I don't really feel I have the knowledge to speak to the current environment other than to know that Medicare rates have dropped, other than to know that I guess just like when this all started back in the days of Oxford Healthcare, all these contracts are being renegotiated and the amounts are lower. Uh, uh, tangent here, Dave. I was paying my staff therapists $90,000 a year back in in the 1990s when so i that, hear about that's like that's like 250 300 grand now and you know well you know all my people were top notch nobody had less than 5 years experience but i was paying my clinicians 80 90 100,000 a year in the late 90s early 2000s and when i see what's happening to therapist salaries now you know and i see kids talking about 60 to 75 75 to 90 i'm like holy macro. I mean, that's unbelievable. And, you know, you've all, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, you know, you've all done the DPT thing. And all I hear about every day is how much (laughs) debt you're all in. And um, that's for the X-rated Dave Kittle podcast, because I'll drop some. There's not enough censorship to censor you for that one. (laughs) So anyway, that would be my answer. Ignorant as charged, but I can't imagine that it's any different, just uh, new players, same game. Got it. Okay. So then what was the eventual transition of, because now you're not affiliated with any of those practices and partnerships. So as much as you want to go into like, how did, was it a slow, you know, change over time? How did you exit or get out of that or kind of step away Mm -hmm. from all of that? So it was a three-year exit plan. I'll try to be a little more succinct. From 2002 to 2005, the seminal moment was, um, uh, I guess, um, a patient walked in one day and they'd come from their personal trainer. And this was back when personal training was only for the rich and the famous. And, uh, oh, I just went to see so-and-so who happened to be a friend of mine because he'd been a patient of mine. He was the top personal trainer in the area. You know, great knowledge and skill base master's in clinical nutrition and exercise physiology from NYU. So he was a qualified personal trainer. Yeah, I just came from so-and-so. You know, yeah, it's 150 um, a session. And I knew I was sitting there and she happened to be a Medicare patient and I was getting $47.50 for one-on-one care from David Curtis. And I walked out of that room and I said, I just spent an hour with her for forty-seven fifty. So and so, my friend, who I respect, who had said to me, "God, David, you don't charge enough." Man, that insurance stuff is just crazy. I, I can't believe it. You're the best at what you do, and this is ridiculous. I'm charging one hundred and fifty a visit, and you know they don't get any reimbursement. That was pretty much the seminal moment. Uh, personal trainers making three times what I'm making with no documentation and no, and no, and no. So, um, and then I think the next day, quote unquote, I'm being a little dramatic here. Soon thereafter, I had a kind of a uh, come to Jesus moment with my partner, called him into my office and said, how much are we getting for a Medicare patient? I mean, I already knew $47 and 50 cents. Oh, really? And then um, as I told you, he was all administrative, no clinical. I was the opposite. How much does it cost us to keep the lights on? That's how clueless I was, Dave, about my business. I don't want to know about electricity and gas and oil and rent and common charge. And I'm treating patients. Just 
Don't bother me. Uh, Seventy-seven dollars and fifty cents. So uh, I can that stay was, that home. That was the cost. That was the cost to deliver a keep visit. the lights on. Call- right. Got it. So let me get this straight. I could stay home and do nothing for an hour and save thirty dollars. Is that what you're telling me? You're kidding me, right? No, no, it's forty-seven fifty, David. Seventy-seven fifty. So you know, on the patients that we make ninety-seven fifty, we're making twenty dollars. Don't talk to me about that. I could stay home and do nothing for an hour and save thirty dollars. Next day, I walked in and I said, "You want to buy me out? Let's figure it out." You're telling me we've got to make hamburgers? I make one thing. I make Wagyu Kobe beef, <laughs> and I am not going to trash my twenty-five year reputation in the town that I live and work and run into a dozen patients every day. If I'm going out for lunch or a cup of coffee, I'm not gonna be lowering my head, looking at the ground, ducking down the side alley because, oh yeah, we went to, uh, you know, David Curtis, it was called Riverview Sports Medicine and Physical Therapy Center. Oh yeah, we went to Riverview Sports Medicine. Yeah, nice, nice people, Yeah, nice. Yeah, it didn't, didn't get any better. But yeah, they were nice, and yeah, it was only a five dollar copay. So, whatever you know, physical therapy, try it. Maybe it'll help you. I don't know. So, real quick, let's go back. You said that's your partner. The next day, you went in, and you said, "Do you want to buy me out?" So, what did he say? It was. Um, let me put it this way: he was adamant about making hamburgers. I was adamant about Wagyu Kobe beef, and the analogy is the volume based. Care yes. versus right quality care, and right. sometimes they're together, and sometimes they're separate. But that's what your analogy is. Yes, as in staff therapists might have been treating two patients an hour; they're going up to four patients an hour. And you, you know, uh, King David, prima donna that you are, uh, you're going to be seeing two patients an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think so. I'm one on one for an hour. That's how I do it. I'm not trashing my reputation. You know, he was ready to make hamburgers. And so, um, you know, we established a value and some of it involved the exchange of uh, funds and some of it involved uh, what I call sweat equity. That's how we got in. That's how we bought in. He bought in with sweat equity. I I wish more, um, maybe they are doing it. I wish more people would do it the old fashioned, you know, as I call it, the old-fashioned Connecticut Yankee way. I said, when he wanted to become a partner, I said, if, you know, show me your stuff, hey, there's skin in the game someday. Uh, He came in early, he stayed late, he took the extra patient, and um, I'm a man of my word. So I said, but rather than, I knew he couldn't write me a check for X. So I said, all right, how about a portion of X? And how about every year we have a pay down schedule? And he basically so, so like like an earnout, yeah. So like again, remember, no business here. I call it a I, I, what you're calling an earnout. I'm assuming is a a scheduled buyout. Every right. year he put X dollars into the pot, and he got another five percent, and another five percent, and another five percent, so that he didn't have to eat ramen noodles for a decade and be miserable and not do a good job. And 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 so. Uh, I'm a horrible businessman, but I think I'm a good person. And so I made it work by taking some money to keep him honest and committed, gradual buy-in so it wasn't crushing him financially. You know, I maintained ownership. It's just like the bank when they give you a mortgage. You know, you don't pay the mortgage. They repossess the house. So worst case scenario, if he couldn't perform and everything just went to hell in a handbasket. Well, it, it, I guess I dust myself off, and you, you would still be left with the practice and the I'd equity. Still be left with the practice still, and yeah. the equity that you still had at that point. Yeah, and I would have um, probably done. I, I mean, I'm literally it's the first time I've had this thought because of your question. Probably would have done a hybrid. I mean, here I am, fee for service. Don't talk to me about. I'm completely out of network, and I'm. I am not talking to you about. Anything insurance, Jerry Durham would have my hide for that. Um, It was about the patient experience, but it didn't include helping them with the finances involved. 
I probably would have brought said to those people, well, this is, you get me here now inside this bigger place. And um, the practice would have been run more hybrid. People who saw me would have been paying fee for service at a certain number. And then there would have been my staff therapists. And, you know, we would have, they would have been fighting the battle. I just met with a practice owner today in, in Manhattan, in the city, in New York City here. And we were talking about that prospect being, you know, we kind of we were like hashing it out in a similar way. We we're just chatting. And we kind of thought like, hey, there could be something there. Like there could be a way, where, like, let me pose you this question. How come no patient, that a prospective patient, they call a physical therapy office. And let's say that they are hybrid, right? And hybrid to define this, it would be, Maybe you accept Medicare, you're participating with Medicare, and then maybe you charge out of pocket for everything else, or you're, you charge out of pocket, you give them a reimbursement form, and they go get reimbursement. Or maybe you take some in-network insurances and some out-of-network insurances, but you, mm-hmm. you may or may not take Medicare. So that's currently like the current definition of, of hybrid. Mm-hmm. How come a prospective patient, as far as I know, this doesn't happen. You call into a practice... And you say, I have back pain and I'm a, I don't know, let's say I'm a, I'm a busy professional and I have back pain and I'm looking for some treatment. How come no practice tells me, okay, so tell us about your situation, your goals, you go through all that. And then would you like to use your insurance or would this be private pay? That's like one question that a lot of times is not asked. We mm-hmm. haven't asked that for our practice. If someone calls in right now, that question will be asked. Uh, mm-hmm. The next follow-up would be, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. So if Dave, you know, the prospective patient, hypothetically, Dave, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. We kind of have like two options here. So you could use your in-network insurance benefits and here's the potential experience that you might get. Maybe the visit is shorter. Maybe the visit is legally overbooked or multiple things going on at once. And it's going to cost this much. Here's your cost up front. It's your $40 copay. Or there's this other experience where basically you get one-on-one time with the doctor of physical therapy. It's $250 for the visit. And either it's through your out-of-network insurance benefits, or if they don't have out-of-network, you can still mention it to the prospective patient. Here's your options. Is that something that you... Does that even make sense? Is that something that would be, I don't know, of interest to you? If you, David, had a pain, you call someplace, you call a physical therapy office and... Most people are going to ask, do you take my insurance? I just, I'm not sure if that's even something feasible or possible, or maybe it probably depends on the setup of the practice. It probably depends on a lot of things. What are your initial thoughts or takeaways on on that as being presenting two options? So if someone's on a tight budget, if they really just want to use their in-network insurance, okay, we have an option for that. Mm -hmm. And if someone wants the Wagyu beef, they want the concierge service, they want the the premier physical therapist that, like yourself, worked with a lot of actors and pro athletes and all that. So if you want that type of therapist, then we can make that happen, but it's going to be $250. It's not a $45 copay. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? I'm somewhat familiar with you know what you've described. It does sound good. Yeah. What are, what are, I, what are, the, what are the downsides? Oh, yeah. You know, I, the it, it sounds good. And I'm sure it could work out in some cases, but you know why wealthy people are wealthy, Dave? Because they don't because they part don't with their, their money. Yeah, they don't part with their money. That's why they're wealthy. So you, I like how it sounds. I like giving that option truly to the person who can't afford me, you. But then I'm, I'm awfully worried about the ones that I know can afford me. Uh, I should speak more generically, you, whatever. Well, I'll, um, hey, I'll try this. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll go. It's it kind of, it's that silver, gold, platinum kind of effect. I, I worry that too many of the fee-for-service platinum people might dip their toe into the silver mode. And, um, you know, if the problem is basic and the therapist is competent and they happen to be compliant with their home program, well, that that's... 250 or that $375 a visit person just got away with a $45 copay. So I don't have an answer to that other than I like the sound of it. I like the humanity of it. 
but um, it, it, humanity is not paying my mortgage or putting right. food on the table. So you'd have to, um, it would have to be done in, in a very special way. Those phone conversations would have right. to be well uh, wordsmithed. Anything that's written would have to be well wordsmithed. That, sure. that discussion would have to be well wordsmithed because you, you also don't want to make them feel bad about themselves and their situation by basically saying, well, you can have crap over here or you can have solid gold over here. Which would you rather have? Uh, yeah. And okay. So that, have- that's the worst part of it. That's the downside. Now, yeah. you, you mentioned regular hamburger and Wago beef, right? So there is, I guess there is a difference between you and I both know where we could go to get Wago beef or a McDonald's hamburger, right? We both know that. But mm-hmm. I guess there's a difference between that in a general sense versus on the phone with someone and they kind of confront you with like that decision. And then mm-hmm. that I think is where you're describing. That's where it could make that prospective patient feel bad. And then they're thinking about maybe their financial situation, their fear, doubt, and, and uncertainty around their finances and 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 their mm-hmm. budget and stresses on their life. So then I, I guess that probably would be the, the biggest downside. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it could be done in a way that isn't degrading or that doesn't give someone that feeling, but don't get carried away. So it, it's a fine line. If you sell it too hard, you may be talking a lot of platinums down to silver. Um, if you don't sell it hard enough and you're crap and gold, then, you know, you're you're kind of, you're really starting a step down the ladder as far as I'm concerned, because isn't the whole point is that we're supposed to be making that individual feel better about themselves, that you want them coming in with a positive attitude. You So I think it can work, but boy, that's when that front office had better be all-star to walk that tightrope between, you know, being too harsh and uh, too, you know, uh, whatever, selling it too hard, I Mm. guess. We didn't plan this. I'm just totally riffing here on Mm -hmm. on this topic, but it could also be done instead of over the phone, over the phone is, yes, we take your insurance and it's a $45 copay. Then they come, they arrive, they have the in-network physical therapy evaluation, standard evaluation. And then either the physical therapist or someone that's a front desk style person, admin, you know, care coordinator, someone that has that designation in the office could mention, maybe give them a handout, a flyer. They could look at it at home. You could send them an email, but they could also mention mm-hmm. it in person and say, hey, just so you know, you have two options. You could, can, we would love to continue to have you come regardless. And if you... Here's your two options. It could be a handout, and it's just like on this side, forty-five dollar copay, and here's all the things that we'll continue to do on your follow-up visits for your plan of care with this, and your insurance approved twelve visits or whatever it is, right? And then the other side could be, here's another option or option two, and it's the two hundred fifty dollar visit, if with or without insurance, uh, out of network insurance, and and here's other options. So. I like I'm just kind of I'm just kind of riffing here in terms because this this okay. is something that I think could help. And th- the reason why is we just want to meet people where they're at, right? We want to help patients and clients, and, and not everyone's gonna want the mm-hmm. bigger thing, but some people do. Some people do want the bigger thing, and we know that consumers are gonna spend money and, and people buy Air Jordans and they can't really afford them. So a lot of people are gonna spend some amount of their income anyway on discretionary purchases. Mm-hmm. So they could also pay a little bit more to get more and, and have that type of an experience. Mm-hmm. Th- that's their option. And then going back to the business component is it would help cash flow. It would help with owners getting more cash flow and they would get 250 for some of those visits at the time mm-hmm. of service, mm-hmm. as opposed to just 45 billing the insurance and getting the rest of that reimbursement in two, three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And I want to, Yes. I, I I mean, I see your point. I agree. I want to get this thought out before it leaves my brain. God, what do you got? Two, two words here. Cosmetological dermatologists and plastic surgeons. I like your soft sell approach. I like the fact that it could be mentioned. 
that you had that you'd have some physical materials that they could take back with them maybe right after that first visit or as you now know with me it's a gratis phone consultation number 1 followed by a gratis phone consultation number 2 that's when the money in my case is first introduced which then isn't even discussed it's only introduced as i've told you before with a follow up communication but what you just described dave is what a cosmetological dermatologist will do or a plastic surgeon will do they have a key interface individual who basically sits down with you know that prospective patient who as you know is what we're talking about elective procedures fee for service who then really kind of opens up his or her little booklet and says oh and our botox series and our this and series and this particular and this and we have this plan here and and they break down the finances and the upfront payment how much is due at the time of whatever you see where i'm getting at are you familiar with that's how a a plastic surgeon's office works i haven't had any plastic surgery yet so i'm not too familiar with it but i'm not saying you have either but no i actually don't know i was going to mention Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to say, and it's obvious no, that, and by the way, holy mackerel, disclaimer, no, it's not me. It's not my wife. I've had many patients come from plastic surgeons. Sometimes women post breast augmentation will have difficulties. And so I have plastic surgeons that I know, patients who've had plastic surgery. I'm aware of some of the hurdles, even when, you know, everything was done properly. So anyway, I just happen to know that's, that's how their offices work. That's kind of, kind of how I would handle it. If you had, if your office manager was talented, she might be able to present to really discuss the silver, the gold and the platinum after the initial, you know, receptionist or front desk person, whatever the PC word is now, for that individual may have brought up the concept, but now you get into the details. Like with me, that first phone consultation, it is all about you. It is about you. You know, it's about what's the issue? Where are we? It is, there is, that's it. So that's what I'm saying. That front desk person could introduce the subject. Don't get into detail with it. Give that to your first stringer, the office manager, to possibly provide some materials and so that maybe when they come in for their second visit after the initial consultation and they've heard it from the front desk person, they've been given the materials by the office manager or the client consultant or whatever the hell I should call that individual. And now they're coming in and saying, oh, tell me more. What actually do I, what are the differences between The one-on-one for an hour with a DPT, I see it's $250. So now they're asking you about it. So now you can kind of control and direct the conversation and be sure not to, you know, undersell or oversell or make someone feel bad about their situation or miss out on the opportunity of landing a whale and getting paid like it was a guppy. There's so much we could talk about, Dave. In all earnesty, I do really feel, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, I really do feel I have something to offer our profession, younger clinicians, but it's it's not something that can be boxed, as I mentioned to you on a personal basis. David, write a book. David, do a video. David, do a... It's just, that's not who I am, Dave. But boy, if you sit at a table with me, I'm proud to say you'll walk away with, you'll walk away with maybe a gem or two. I know I've, I've just lived life and I've run into it through experience. So even your MBA isn't going to save your ass, you know, in some particular situation, but it's happened to me a hundred times before. So I know how to handle it. You know, but, but you, you have had a lot of people say, a lot of colleagues probably say that you should do stuff over video. You should do talks like this. You should do interviews. You should document your processes, right? Like, cause you're, you can speak, you can speak very well. You have a lot of energy, you're articulate, you're likable. Those things should, should be, or could be captured. So it could even be internal stuff, you know, 
if you build a team type of thing, but also, yeah, just kind of documenting your situation and your just your current journey. Yeah, I just find when I go to an occasional course or meeting or mastermind conference or whatever, I do feel good because I'll just be sitting down with my, you know, Turkey Reuben and all of a sudden, you know, we're half hour, 45 minutes down the road and there's 10, 20, 30 people sitting around the table. And I realize a degree of embarrassment that I'm the only one talking. They're actually listening and they're not listening like eyes up in the air, like, oh my God, when is this old geezer going to shut the hell up? <laughs> I can tell they're actually engaged. Like they're interested in what I'm saying. And sometimes it does surprise me, like, really? They're interested in what I'm saying? I'm 66 years old. I've been practicing for 41 years. Uh, you know, I can barely plug in and turn on a computer. Uh, and as we've discussed, I don't have Facebook and Google five-star reviews and Google AdWords. And eh, they're interested. That's odd. Huh, maybe not. Maybe I learned something in the last 40 years. Well, that might be the case. So, but to package it, I tend to just do better when I'm sitting at a round table. And a topic comes up and just discuss it. And I have to remain anonymous, but I've asked, been asked by two individuals to do just that. Like, would you come to our PT school and do a round table with our you know, graduating class in small groups of 10, 12 people? Just tell them here, you know, write your autobiography, but just tell it. So that's how I tend to do better. I just, I've never been a public speaker or a book writer or a video doer. Um, I tend to get lost in the butterflies uh, and better one-on-one or small groups. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, I, I think that's a good place to leave it. Definitely would love to have you back in the future. I mean, you have a lot going on and you have a, would you, your current practice, do you call it concierge? What do you call it? One-on-one? I mean, what is the... What is the you know handle or what is or how do you describe the current practice where you have a very unique one-on-one practice like mm-hmm. you said already in the in the video here and in, in the call mm-hmm. that you go through at least one or two phone calls with mm-hmm. prospective clients before they make a decision or before you mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. meet them in person ever so it's a very unique and different approach to yeah. physical therapy I think I see where you're going so you know, I call it a concierge practice, a concierge private practice, but it's really double concierge based upon the definition. It's a concierge practice in that it's a private practice fee for service, all cash based, which is just a, a fancy way of saying out of network because some of my patients do get reimbursed. I don't do any of the work, but they are reimbursed. So I call it concierge, concierge. Um, That sounds so concierge. That sounds better than all cash based. Um, But before I lose the, um, I I had a thought I wanted to share with you. I'm hoping it's going to come back to me. And uh, and I just lost it. Um, You were talking about my phone, the phone consultation, phone consultation. That's just not coming back to me. And it was it was really it was really good. Oh, my current my current permute concierge physical therapy i actually the reason i uh, the second part of concierge that's it i do house calls so not only do i have my office you know which is concierge but i'll make a house call and so i'll charge 50 75 100 125 dollars on top of my fee to do a house call now you could say it's a money loser oh you could stay in your office by the time you drive out to the patient, see the patient drive back. You could have seen two patients. Well, sometimes it's not all about the money, Dave. It's it's all coming back to me now. If that person is a mover and a shaker, and if their time is worth, you know, 5,000, 10,000, who knows, an hour, you think my little $100 house call fee is going to bother them? The fact that I'm going to drive to and from them and save them that hour, they'll pay my $100 house call fee on top of my $375 fee without blinking an eyelash because I just saved them $10,000. They didn't have to drive 30 minutes to and from David Curtis. Maybe 
maybe that's one, certainly wouldn't be the only reason, as you and I have discussed, maybe that's one of the reasons why they did choose me. Maybe they had six friends tell them about me and six friends tell them about someone else. Maybe that someone else was like house calls, house calls. Yeah, no, we don't do that. So that's how I get those key people. The fact that I'm willing to do a house call, concierge, that's the definition, and concierge, private. And one one last thing that, that, again, you and I didn't discuss that you probably don't know about is I actually have concierge patients, meaning they pay me a fee at the beginning of the year, just like a concierge physician. And I came up with that idea based upon the fact that my parents' family physician, after 40 years of taking care of them, sent my parents a letter one day saying, Alice and Bill, um, I've loved taking care of you for the past 40 years. I'll be available, but in a new way. And long story short, that was the my first awareness of you can have a private, you know, upfront fee concierge private practice. So I went and visited with this internist and he said, yeah, not many people can do it because you need multiple visits. You know, come to think of it, internal medicine can do it. Pediatrics can do it, multiple visits. And, you know, physical therapists can do it. So I owe that concept. I charge a fee and I have a couple of dozen people who on January 1st, I get a check from them just to have access to me for that year. For X, I, They pay me X thousand dollars to know, hey, if it's Sunday night at nine o'clock and they just sprained their ankle at eight o'clock, yeah, guess who's going to either see them at the office at 930 or be at their house? It's going to be me. So they pay that fee up front for, quote unquote, virtually nothing a few basic services, and then they get a deeper professional courtesy if something really happens, okay? So it's not like I'm going to charge them $5,000 a year to have access for me. Oh, and you get these, you know, five services that might only be worth $1,000. So at least they're kind of getting something back if nothing happens to them. It's not like if they, you know, rupture their ACL, oh my God, now I'm working for $1.95 a visit. I discount my $375 visit by a, a good portion as a way of almost, it's almost like they're, they're getting back some of their upfront money by getting, oh, I'm paying X less per session and holy crap, I'm going to need 15 sessions or 30 sessions or something like that. Oh, oh so that 5,000 I paid David upfront, I'm saving 100, 100, 100, 100. And then they don't feel so bad about it. So they get some basic services, let's just say $1,000 worth of value for $5,000. Now that other money is lost money if nothing happens other than access to me. But if something happens, then they're kind of rewarded for something happening by getting the discount, quote unquote, the professional courtesy on each visit. So that's something we hadn't discussed. So concierge, private, concierge, house call. That's it. Wow. Wow. Um, we'll we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. It was great to have you. Definitely want to have you back because I want to explore all of that because I think that other practice owners could explore. I mean, we're probably going to get a bunch of questions just on that alone in terms of, you know, they, they're probably going to think, how do you even present that? How is that even possible? And it's not going to be for everybody. And obviously, a lot of the owners out there, their staff therapists are not going to want to necessarily reply to a patient that's existing in the practice and go to them at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night. So there might be some other ways we could have you back and kind of talk more about, hey, what what about this? We could riff on, on mm-hmm. uh, payment and, and reimbursement and, you know, concierge and, and that that whole thing. I would love to well, have you back. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back. You know, the grass is always greener, but having lived the traditional, you know, life for 25 years and now the not so traditional life meaning of practice for 17 years, there are a lot more upsides than downsides to that nine o'clock on a Sunday. You know, that happens once in a blue moon. Yeah, you know, insurance, that's every visit every day. So the grass is not always, not always greener on the other side. And uh, I guess this is the teaser part, which of course you can cut out. Hey, Dave, if you ever have me back, 
you know, forget about the stuff we just talked about now, whatever these people have just seen. <laughs> what they really want to know is about all the stuff we talked about before we went live. So that's a teaser. Hopefully, um, yeah. Oh, the really good stuff, Dave. We talked about, you know, um, in the pre-interview. In, yeah. in the pre-interview and that before you pressed record. So I hope you got some to your listeners. I hope they got something out of this, but well, you want to hear the good stuff. You got to tune in again. There you go. We'll leave it at that. If a practice owner is out there listening and they want to reach out to you or connect with you further, what's a place where they can find you online or connect with you? Oh, well, you know, I'm high tech, Dave. So they could go to my, uh, I'm reticent about giving out my personal cell phone number over video. So they no could problem. just go on, they can email me personally at davidcurtispt at yahoo.com. Or my website is uh, davidcurtispt.com. So davidcurtispt.com website, davidcurtispt at yahoo.com email. Email, got it. Anyone that's listening, please, uh, if you like this, if you find this stuff interesting and valuable, go ahead and rate and review on iTunes, follow us on Spotify, and the YouTube videos should be coming out today, if not very soon. So go ahead and subscribe there. So that way you'll be notified when future episodes get published and released. And we have a lot more in the funnel, in the uh, in the tank, ready to be published. And they're with other practice owners, just like David. So peeling back the curtain, talking about transactions, uh, buying or selling practices, and much more. So make sure you follow along and uh, let us know if you are interested in any particular topic. Give us suggestions. We're open to all of that. And we will see you guys next time on The Dave Kittle Show. Thank you. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N. C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com, or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.